You know, what I love about Glad Tidings uh, is that we have over 30 nationalities in this church. And so many of us come from different countries. You know, we live in the United States and we celebrate our independence. Um, but many countries that you come from celebrate an independence day of your own. And so it's important to know what we celebrate. On July 4th, 1776, the 13 colonies claimed their independence from England, an event which eventually led to the formation of the United States. Conflict between the colonies and England was already a year old when the colonies convened a Continental Congress in Philadelphia in the summer of 1776. In a June 7th session in the Pennsylvania State House, later Independence Hall, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia presented a resolution with the famous words, Resolved, that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. On July 1st, 1776, the Continental Congress reconvened, and on the following day, the Lee Resolution for Independence was adopted by 12 of the 13 colonies, New York not voting. The process of revision continued through all of July 3rd and into the late afternoon of July 4th, when the Declaration was officially adopted. Of the 13 colonies, nine voted in favor of the Declaration. Two, Pennsylvania and South Carolina, voted no. Delaware was undecided and New York abstained. John Hancock, President of the Continental Congress, signed the Declaration of Independence, and it is said that John Hancock signed his name with a great flourish saying, King George can read that without spectacles. I love that. Document of Independence, John Hancock signs it big and large to make sure that there was no mistaking his name. There was no mistaking where he stood. No mistaking his position. Fifty-six men signed the Declaration of Independence. These men as Lee from Virginia said, they resolved. These men resolved. What does that word resolve mean? Well, resolve defined means this, to come to a firm decision about something. To solve difficulty. Difficulty. Difficultly is what I'm trying to say. To solve difficultly, meaning it was not an easy solution. There their decision about how to proceed with something was not, diff- was, what, was not easy. It was difficult. So these men, these 56 men, resolved. They came to a difficult decision. They came to a firm decision. So what kind of men were these? These men, these 56 men that, that gathered together. Well, 24 of them were lawyers and jurists. 11 were merchants. Nine were farmers and plantation uh, managers or owners. They were men of means. They were well-educated. But they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full and well that the penalty would be death if they were captured. I want you to think about that. These men gather. And they're looking at what currently is, and they're looking at their current states and and, and the way King George is, and they're looking at their situation. They're saying, this is wrong and this is right. 
And they're saying the abuses and the offenses of King George are wrong. And so they come to this difficult decision, this, this, this very hard decision, but they're confident that this is the right decision. And they say, no, we need to be independent. And so 56 men sign a declaration that could lead to their own death. And I think some of us, if we were in that room, might be finding a small corner, some of that declaration, and making sure our name was really small, maybe unlegible, so if we were caught, we'd say, well, that's not really my name. And I love how John Hancock signs it. He wanted to make sure that King George could read it without any trouble. And so John Hancock is the biggest name on there, with great flair, and I love those words, King George can read that without his glasses. It was like he said, make no mistake, King George, that you know exactly where I stand. Make no mistake that that signature is mine. Make no mistake that I stand firmly on what I believe. And make no mistake that I know that the price that I could pay for this is death. That's called being resolved. It's dedication. It's commitment. It's belief. And the circumstances and the consequences of what you believe are secondary to what you believe. That makes sense? Sometimes we go, well, hold on a second. If I believe this, and if my belief, and I say I believe this, it's going to lead me down to this path, and the end of that path looks like what? Well, if it looks like prosperity, and it looks like good health, and it looks like great things, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm resolved to this path. But what happens when your resolution, your resolve, could lead to a negative outcome? And I love that their belief in what they signed their names to was second. It didn't matter what the outcome was. They declared, no, this is right. And this is wrong. And the outcome does not determine what is right or wrong. And I will stand by what I believe. The outcome will be the outcome. But let it go down in history that I stood for what I believed. And we... 237 years later, you and I celebrate and have barbecues and celebrate independence because of the resolve and the willingness of 56 men who said, I know I might die for my signature, but I'm going to stand true to what I believe. And they stood up and they were counted and they won. How many of you are grateful for the resolve of these men? Amen? Amen. I think it's impressive. I think, man, that you can look back and go, man, we're here today. I'm grateful for a signature that was big. I'm grateful for a man who says, you know what, live or die, I'm going to stand for what I believe. These 56 men refused to bow down. They knew that the consequences, should they be captured, could be death. And some of them did die when they were captured. And some lost their lives, and some lost their families, and many of them lost their homes. Many of them lost their possessions. These were wealthy men, and many of them watched them be taken from them. And some of them died poor because of the decision they made on that day. But the decision that they made on that day led to our freedom. It led to our country. It led to our barbecues. It leads to to the service. It leads to our rights. And so these brave men and women, they stood for what they believed in. They paid a price. 
and against the odds they want. Open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Again, Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Men and women of resolve, people who stand resolved to something, that, that's, that's part of our history. It's part of our country. Our country is established on men and women who stood up, who resolved to what they believed in. It's not just the heritage of the country that we live in. It's the heritage of our Christianity. Jesus Christ was resolved to a cross that we might live and have life. That resolve is found and echoed through Scripture all over the place. A resolve for what you believe in. A resolve for what we stand upon. The consequences are beside the point. What's important is what do I believe and what will I stand for? Too many times in our lives, guys, we've lost that sense of resolve. We've, we've lost that sense of dedication. We've lost that sense of commitment. So many times our decisions are not based on what's right, or what's wrong anymore. Our decisions are based on what the outcome would be best for me. Which gives me the easiest avenue? Which makes my life less difficult? Which makes me prosper more? And depending on how we answer that, whatever path leads to that, then we can be resolved to that. Man, I thank God that our forefathers didn't have that kind of attitude. Because if they did, they would never have signed that declaration. They would have been like, man, and sometimes I wonder, what would happen if you were in that room 237 years ago and you hold that pen in your hand? They're saying, we want your signature on this document. But we want you to know that by signing this, yes, if you get caught, it's treason, you could die. And what you do at that moment is important. What would you do? Do you find a little corner? So one day you'd be like, that's not my signature. Or would you sign it with flair and go, I'll make sure King George can read this with our glasses on. That's my name. And that's where I stand. Live or die, that's my name. That's being people of resolve. That's our heritage. All right, Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Beginning at verse 3. Beginning at verse 1. All right, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast 
into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, ligon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We'll pause there. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Daniel's not actually mentioned in this story, but Daniel's a big part of this. These men were from Judah. And if you've been in the services the last couple of weeks, you know we've talked about uh, King Josiah and King Hezekiah. Two godly kings amongst a sea of evil kings amongst God's people in Israel. All right, We're actually talking about the southern kingdom of Judah. And so in the southern kingdom of Judah, that's where these men were. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were actually part of the royal family. And they had witnessed the actions of a godly king. They, they had actually been born during King Josiah's reign. All right? They got to grow up and watching, uh, watch the reform that he brought. For those who weren't with us, the last couple of weeks, Josiah comes into reign at age eight. Uh, and he comes from um, two kings before him, his father and his, father, uh, his grandfather, uh, 57 years of idol worship, and he comes into the throne, and God begins to move on him. He begins to realize the idolatry that's going on, and he begins to kind of, you know, rebuild the temple and, 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 and fix the temple up, and in doing that, they rediscover the law of God, and it's read for Josiah. And when the law is read, Josiah is confronted with their evil practices, and so what he does, this young man, he was probably in his teens by this time, he tears down the idols of the idol worship, and he just obliterates them and leads the people back to God. And so these men, these four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were born during this godly king's reign. So they witnessed this wonderful thing taking place. But they also witnessed some other things in Judah that weren't so good. They witnessed King Josiah dying at age 39. After reigning for 31 years, he was killed in war. And then they witnessed this, this, king, this king Josiah's sons come and take rule. The first one reigned for about two or three months. The second one reigned for, I believe, it was 11 years. But within three to four years, under the rule of these sons, Judah turned back to idol worship, which means that they weren't really following God to begin with. The reforms that King Josiah brought, the people really kind of followed them to please Josiah rather than to really recognize their sin and honor God. And so when, when King Josiah dies, the reform dies with him. The sons come in and they lead them back to idol worship. And so these four young men are witnessing this too. Josiah dies. His sons take over. Idol worship comes right back in. Three years after Josiah dies, God uses the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, and in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar sweeps into Palestine. He surrounds Jerusalem, and he makes Judah his vassal state. Again, these young men are witnessing this. Man, this is God's city. And all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and takes it. And to show his dominion, his dominance, his power, King Nebuchadnezzar took many of Jerusalem's most handsome men and beautiful women, especially from the royal family, and from nobility, and he takes them captive, and he takes them back to Babylon with him as his captives. Among these captives are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men have been captive, 
by Nebuchadnezzar. And they're taken on, it's not an actual 500-mile difference between um, Jerusalem and, and Babylon, but the trip that they take is 500 miles to get there. And so 500 miles, this brutal trip, these men are being taken away from everything that they know. Nebuchadnezzar did this because he wanted to take the best fruits, if you will, from this land. And so he takes these people, he takes this royalty, he takes the best, and it's his goal to transform them. He wants to make them Babylonians. He wants them to see themselves as Babylonians. And he wants the Babylonians to see them not as Jews, but as Babylonians. And so he takes them with him, he takes them out of their culture, from their homes, And he begins to recreate them, retrain them, to turn them. This process of turning and training them into being Babylonians. And so in order to do this, they try to change their thinking by giving them a Babylonian education. And so it's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go for about three years. They're in Babylon, and they're being retrained, right? They'd be given this Babylonian education. In addition to that, King Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, you're going to feed them royalty food. The choicest wines and the choicest meats. Now these Jews, they were strict. They didn't just eat anything. They had their laws that they would abide by. And so this meant breaking their own laws. And so they're changing their thinking by educating them. They're changing their lifestyle by changing their diet. And finally, to really seal off this change, to really make this final transformation to really grab hold of their loyalties and shift loyalties from Jerusalem, from Judah to Babylon, they changed their names. They gave them new names because they believed that would simulate them into this culture. To Daniel, Daniel means God is my judge. Jehovah is my judge. Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar, which means Bel, which is the chief Babylonian god means Bel protect his life. So this godly name of God is my judge is now changed. He's given this name that glorifies some pagan god. To Hananiah, which means the Lord shows grace, he's given the name Shadrach. And that name Shadrach probably means under the control of Oku, which is the moon god. To Michelle, which means, who was like God? The name is given Meshach, which means, who is like Aku. Instead of who was like Jehovah, who was like the moon God. And to Azariah, which means the Lord helps, he was given the name Abednego, which means servant of Nepho or Nebo, the God of learning and writing. So these guys' lives were completely transformed. They're taken from everything that's normal. See, when we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a lot of times we jump into, oh, they said no, they wouldn't bow down, and God shows up in the fiery furnace. But we need to get into the meat and the history. What is going on? Because there's so much more to this story. Here are these men of God. And now they've been captured. They've been taken away from everything that is normal to them. They've been taken to this foreign land. And their names have been changed. My name no longer brings glory to God. Every time you yell Shadrach, Meshach, you're identifying them as so, with, with the name of some pagan god. Psychologically, psychologically, that could do something to somebody. 
You begin to call them by something else. They begin to believe that eventually. And so these guys are bombarded. They're completely surrounded. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego resolved not to defile themselves. And I love that word, resolved. And that's the title of this message, resolved. They resolved themselves. You don't have to turn there. But in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked that chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. So what happens is these guys are captured, they're taken away, and the training begins. And like I said, part of the training was to give them this new diet. And so Daniel's standing there, and he's going, man, this is not what I believe. This is not the food I eat. This is not who I am. And at that point is this moment of decision, this crucial moment of decision that comes in all of our lives. And he stands and he says, man, who am I going to be? And the easy way is to go, okay, you know, it does look kind of good. It does look kind of tasty. And I am, you know, God, you allow me to get cap- become captive, so I'm here. But he says, no, this is not who I'm going to be. This is not who the God, I, the God that I serve does not allow me to eat the stuff. I will not defile myself. Resolve means what? To come to a difficult decision. To stand for what is right. To know that the process, the path that you're taking may be long and it may be hard, but it's the right one. Resolve is what our forefathers came to that led them to sign a declaration of independence when their lives were at risk. And resolve is what Daniel, it's the very word that the Bible uses, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. I go back to my life and I think of a moment of resolution for me. And I hope you have these. And maybe if you don't have a moment or a day or, 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 or where you remember that you resolved something, where you came to some kind of resolution, I hope maybe today will be that day for you. But I remember when I was 17, and I was in the Army, I'd already gone through boot camp, had gone through AIT, I was in airborne school. At 17, 17 is young. 17, you're still influential. Wait, not influential, you're still able to be influenced. And I remember I was standing there, and I was at this party, and I'd grown up a Christian, and my parents, were, for those who don't know, were ministers, and I loved God. And I was standing at this party, and I had a beer in my hand. Yeah, I was underage, and I'm standing there. And it was like, and I remember exactly where I was, in the corner of this living room, and there was this table, and there was a lamp. I don't know why I remember the lamp. It was just, it's just this moment. I didn't forget this moment. And I felt this question come over my mind, and it simply was, I know it was God, said, Selwyn, is this who you are? And in that moment, my mind flooded with everything that I'd seen. What the, you know, because I, I was young. I watched this relationship that my parents had with God. I'd seen God do some amazing, miraculous things. And now I was at this moment where I didn't have those kind of miracles in my own life, but I'd seen so much, and I felt like God was saying, Selwyn, based on what you know, and based on what you've seen, is this who you are? And I remember going, you know what? Man, I can, I'm far from home. Mom and dad, they're far away. I can be this guy down here, and I can be the guy that they know back home. Sounded like a pretty good option. And everything started going through my mind where I began to think, man, someone, you've seen too much. 
you know too much, who are you going to be? And it was a life-changing moment for me. And I remember putting that drink down and going, this is not who I am. And I knew that there were going to be consequences to my decisions at 17, when most of the other soldiers are older than you and doing things, immoral things, that I had to now take a stand for. I knew I resolved in my heart, God, this is not an easy road for me. God, I'm going to need your help, but I'm going to do my best to stand for you. And I went through all kinds of trials because being resolved to something doesn't mean the trials don't come. It means that God shows up in the midst of them. And he strengthens you. And I went through a lot of grief. And I went through a lot of heartache. And it would have been so easy to bow and just give in. But God helped me. And God showed me favor. I remember that time in my life. Do you have a moment like that? Do you have a moment where... You, you, you said, you know what, I can compromise and I can get away with this and no one knows, but I have to look at myself and I know who I am. Do you have a moment where you go, man, who am I going to be? What am I going to be about? Regardless of what anybody else says, I have to look at myself. I have to look at me at the end of my life and I have to come face to face and say, Selwyn, did you stand for what you believed in? Or did you take the easy way out? I want to tell you, those are tough places to be, but there are life-defining and life-changing moments in our lives. And I pray that you have one if you haven't already had one. And I pray that if you are, you've had that defining moment and maybe you're in a battle, I want to tell you, stay the course. Stay the course. God is faithful. And so in this moment, Daniel finds himself, and it's this dangerous situation and so really, I'm sure reluctantly, probably nervously, but he says to the official, hey, listen, I don't want to defile myself by eating this food. And the official says, are you kidding me? He says, Nebuchadnezzar, he'll kill me if you look worse than these other guys. And Daniel says, give us 10 days, feed us vegetables and water. And if we don't look the same, then do what you, what you deem best. And so this official should not have shown favor to him. But see, God steps in. And God causes this official to show favor to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these guys eat the non-defiled food. They eat vegetables and water. And they look, 10 days later, they look healthier than everybody else. And this official transports everybody and doesn't give them the choice wines and all, and all the meats. He gives them all vegetables and water. So God shows up. But see, this moment of resolution, this point where they got to, where they were saying, man, this is who we're going to stand and be. That resolve would stay with them throughout their lives. It would carry them. And I say, you know, the Bible says Daniel, and I say Daniel and his friends. I don't know how it all happened. Maybe Daniel stood up and said, you know what, guys, this is not who we are, and I'm not going down this path. And maybe it was just what those other guys needed to hear to say, you know what, Daniel, I feel the same way. I was a little bit nervous to stand up myself, and so, but you're going that way. I'm there too. Maybe it was the leadership of Daniel. You know how it is. Maybe it's just sitting like this. There's an altar call, and you go in your heart, man, I really should go up there, but, uh, you know, I'm looking around. I don't want people to think that I'm guilty or whatever. I don't know. And then all of a sudden you're waiting, and somebody's waiting. Everybody's waiting for some brave soul to stand up first. Isn't it amazing how somebody stands up? And nobody wants to be the first person. Somebody, someone stands up and says, despite what anybody thinks, I know this is for me. It's not about self. It's not about anybody. God, I've just, God, you spoke to me, and I've got to respond. And they get up, and they walk, and all of a sudden, there's like a bunch of people get them going, I'm with you. 
That's leadership. That's guts. That's resolve. And so here's this moment. And this resolve defined their lifestyle. It would continue. And so we move forward several years. They've gone through the training process. Going back to the the scripture we opened up with. Now they actually occupy good positions. They've been promoted. They've done well. And now here comes this idol. It's another moment of truth for them. It's another moment to bow down. It's another moment of compromise in a culture of compromise, in a culture of idol worship. These men stand alone. Let's pick up with Daniel 3, verses 8 through 15. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to pause there real quick. I love how they're identified not as Babylonians. They were identified as Jews. It means they weren't transformed. Moving on. All right? There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God? who will deliver you from my hands. Let's pause there. So despite being relocated from Jerusalem to Babylon, despite being submerged in a culture so different than their own, despite their change in names, these men refused to compromise, but stayed faithful to God. You know, it amazes me what we see in these men, because the truth is their actions aren't just alien to Babylon, it's actually alien to Judah. Because, and we talked about this last couple of weeks, of God's people, of Judah, only 20% of the kings, God's kings, actually worshipped him. 80% of them turned to idol worship. And once in a while, this is what we talked about the last couple of weeks, a godly king would, would, would pop up. I think it was 84 years of idol worship before Hezekiah came. And he worshipped God. And then he died. And when he died, the worship of God died too. And then his son Manasseh and Amon, they came and they reigned for another 57 years. And it was idol worship again before Josiah came. And Josiah rules and leads them back to God. And then he dies, and then his sons lead them back to idol worship again. So the culture of Judah really wasn't worship of God. 
The culture of Judah was idol worship. The culture of Judah was slipping away. And so where do these men get this from? Where does their faith come from? Where does their strength come from? What is it that makes these men, they're not in Judah anymore, they're in Babylon, yet they find the courage? They've got this grit determination. They've got this resolve that Judah doesn't even show that you don't see in Jerusalem. And when I read that, I I take note of this, that they were born under Josiah's reign. These were young men, and they were born while a godly king was ruling. And, And this is just my own interpretation, but man, you know when you admire someone? You see something that you like, and you begin to say, I can only imagine, this must have been these guys. They must have seen Josiah and gone, man, here's this young man. Man, he's in his teens or whatever, and this guy, he's taking a stand. And man, it's not easy, but look at this guy. Look at what he's done. Look at his determination. Look at his resolve. Maybe they looked at Josiah and they're going, look, look, I know there's a lot of people here and there's a lot of, uh, you know, God worshipers, but there's something different about this God worshiper. There's something different about Josiah. There's something, there's something real. And all I know is that, man, I'm drawn to this guy. I love what he has. I don't know what he has, but I want what he has. Have there been people like that in your lives? Man, there are a sea of Christians that, 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 that wear that title but they look nothing like Christians. And then there's some Christians that wear their title, and there's something different. It's not them, but it's about a relationship that they've got. And you can see Christians, and you can see real Christians, and you can go, man, and the world does this all the time. Well, based on the Christians that I see, I don't want to be like them. But then there's Christians where you go, man, I don't know, there's something different. There's this relationship, there's something going on. And, and I don't know what it is, but man, I, I like them. I, I kind of, I want to have what they have. And, and as you want that, you begin to draw closer to them. And as you draw closer to them, what you really begin to see is their lives pointing to him, pointing to Christ. And you begin to realize what they have is Jesus. It's not that they're some special person, but what they have is Jesus. And, and, and what happens is, especially if they're a godly person, when you begin to have conversation with them, they go, oh, don't look at me. Look at him. It's only through him. I can only imagine that maybe this is what happened with, with Josiah, that they watched this and they saw something real in Josiah. And they thought, man, despite what anybody else has, man, I want that. I'm longing for something real. You know, I found that true. I, 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 when I was in the military and I... Many times I stayed in my room and I didn't go to the strip clubs and I didn't go off to the bars and I didn't go and do all these things that the other guys were doing and I, and I got uh, lots of grief all the time for it, especially when you're in special ops community because they pride themselves in this. And so they, 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 they did this. They put pressure on me all the time. That was the first place I was for the first year. That's where I was. And so the pressure to give in. But I remember some guys came to me later on because God built me in the midst of that. And the very men that pressured me came to respect me. Because God does show favor. And God does show up. And I remember some of the guys coming to me and they said, you know what, someone? I used to give you a hard time about going to these places, but I want you to know something. I never really wanted you to go. I didn't really want you to go. You see, someone, all the time we see guys coming here, they say they're Christians, and within a couple of months, they're just doing everything like everybody else. And they're fine. They're nice guys. But really, 
what, what I wanted to see is I, I, wanted you to, I wanted you to be real. I really wanted you to succeed. So every time we asked, in my heart, I didn't want you to give in. And I'm not glorifying myself. I certainly am not. And then he said to me, I'm so glad you were real. Some of these guys started going to church with me. I don't think it was pure. I think they realized there were young ladies at the church, and so they came. But hey, they came. But they, they, they said to me, I just wanted something real. And in my heart, I said, well, I could have done without your grief. Why did you have to put me through this? Why did I have to go through this? Because I went through basically hell while you just wanted me to be real. But it gave me an opportunity to stand. And while I didn't appreciate it, that's what the world wants. They're longing within a sea of Christians not to see compromise and not to see lifestyles that are no different than anybody else's, but to see someone stand for what they believe in and to be real. And when they find something real, they go, okay, this person really believes this. They're willing to take a risk for this. There must be something to this. Talk to me about why you believe what you believe. Is it possible that this is what these young men saw in Josiah? They go, man, this guy is real. Do people see that in you? Do they look at your life and go, man, amongst all the other Christians that I come in contact with, man, there's something different, there's something real. This person won't compromise. And I don't understand it because if they would just compromise, they would gain more position, they would gain more finances, they would gain more more respect, they would gain whatever, but this person refuses to compromise. So I take note that they had been with Josiah And I want to say to you, man, don't underestimate the power of influence. I bet Josiah, when he died, had no idea how influential he was in these people's lives. Sometimes when we're going through hard times and we don't understand what we're going through, and we we wonder, God, where are you in all of this? I want you to know there are eyes that are watching you. And there are eyes that are saying, man, I want to see something real. Don't give up. Don't quit. If you're going through a hard time, man, stay strong, stay true, stay with God. He will not fail you. Let's be people of influence. All right, moving on. So that's what I believe. I just believe that this is probably what they saw. And and obviously Jeremiah the prophet was in there as well. But again, Daniel chapter 3. We'll move on to the story. Verses 16 through 18. Nebuchadnezzar brought them in. And he basically gives them an opportunity to bow again. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out from your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. think about this. This is that John Hancock moment, right? This is Nebuchadnezzar saying to them, guys, listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity to bow down again one more time. And I want you to know that if you do not bow down, you will die. I will kill you myself and your God will not be able to save you. And so we look at their faith, we look at their courage. Where does their courage come from? Where does their faith come from? Well, you know, when I, when I look at my faith, I told you I have, a, I have this big, you know, 
thing full of altars. For you, those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it sounds really bad, but what it is is things that God has done in my life that we take pictures of or, or our lives that we, and it's, it's basically just a, a, a physical image of, of a miracle that God's done in our lives. And when we struggle, we go back and go, man, that's who my God is. It was an impossible. And look what he did here. And so I'll look at this from time to time. But when you look at these guys, right? They're looking at what God has done. They watch Josiah, this godly king, die at age 39 in war. God, where were you? That's not what God does. Then they watch his sons come over and lead Judah back to idol worship. Okay, God, what's up with this? This is not, why did you allow this godly king to die? Now his sons are leading you know, Judah back away from you into idol worship. What's up with this? And then they watch Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan guy, come in and basically take over Jerusalem. God, where are you in this? This is your city. Where are you? God, you're not showing up. Make things worse. They're now taken captive. Now we're really saying, God, where are you? To make things even worse, the names that glorify God are now changed to names that glorify pagan gods. I don't know about you, but when I find myself in situations like that, I begin to think God left a long time ago. I begin to go, okay, God, clearly you're not with me. Clearly you're not here. Because when I have faith, I look back and go, this is when God did this, and this is when God did this, and this is when God did this. And based on what he did here, this is what he's going to do here. And what they can look back is, and God did not show up here, and God didn't do this, and God let me be captive, and now I'm here, and he's threatening me with my life. And yet in the midst of this, they have faith. Because their faith in God wasn't because determined by a favorable outcome. Their faith in God was based on who God was and who God is. Their service of God wasn't based on what God did for them. It was based on who, how holy he is and what they can do with their lives for him. It had nothing to do with their own outcome. Their resolve wasn't, had nothing to do with their own success or their own prosperity. It was all because God is holy and he demands my service and I love him and I'm going to serve him. And so they find themselves in this, in, this, in this place, and Nebuchadnezzar looks at them and says, and what God will serve you, will save you? I can only imagine, well, the God who didn't save me from you originally, and the God who allowed my name to be changed, and the God who allowed Josiah to die. And he's probably going, yeah, that's the God I put my faith in. And Nebuchadnezzar throws in their face, what God can save you from my hand? See, we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we talk about the fire. There's a lot more to this story. There's a lot more to their resolve, to their courage, to the stands they had to take. And so here they are, in the midst of this. And I love their words. I'll repeat them again. They say to Nebuchadnezzar, if this be so, if this is true, if you throw us in the fire, our God, whom hasn't saved us yet, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Again, this is that John Hancock moment. Nebuchadnezzar says, man, I'm going to give you another opportunity to bow down. We're going to play the music again. And they go, hold on. Just save yourself the effort. You don't need the music. I want you to know right now, I will not bow down to your gods, whether you kill me or not. 
You don't have to play the music again. Save yourself the trouble. Let it be known to you, O king, that this is me and this is what I stand for. So if you're going to kill me, you might as well proceed right now. This was that John Hancock that says, I'm not signing my name in some bottom obscure corner that I can argue, well, it's not really my name, you know. John Hancock signs it big and boldly and says, King George, you can read that without your glasses on. That's my name, and that's what I stand for. Folks, that's resolve. That's not resolve based on outcome. These guys said, man, even if my God does not show up, and even if my God allows me to go through this, he is still my God, and I still won't bow to anybody else's God. As I read this story, I see similarities in our own culture. Sometimes I feel like the words of Nebuchadnezzar are echoed in our own, from our own gods. Our gods of money, our gods of success, our gods of jobs, our gods, anything that's taken an influence over us, anything that has higher role in our lives than I actually got, than God does. Sometimes our jobs come on. You guys know this is true. You want to have success? You better be here. If you've got to be here, you've got to work this many hours. You've got to give more. You've got to give more. You've got to give more. And if you don't do this, let me tell you something. You're replaceable. There's somebody else that I can put right into your position right now. And so in this situation, it's almost like they're saying, listen, you better bow down to this job. You better bow down to your success. You better bow down to the money because if you do not, you will lose your job. You will lose your career. You will lose your finances, and you might die poor. Well, you may not have that retirement, or you may not have that position, or you might have. And so it's like these words are echoed from the gods of this world where they say, bow down before me or you will die. And at the same time, we read in Scripture that Jesus says to us that we're to have no other gods but him. And he says to us this, we're to seek first his kingdom. He goes, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. He says, and I know what you need. He says, and all of your needs will be met. He goes, and I can provide for you more than anything else. See, I'll provide for the, and I'm paraphrasing, the lilies and the flowers. He goes, and I will provide for you. So God says to us, seek first my kingdom. It's about me. It's about my mission. It's about life. It's about bringing life to people who walk in darkness. That's what your life is about. And so we look at this, and it's like, oh, here's God's words here saying, seek first my kingdom. And then here's the words of something else, and it's, and it's saying, seek first your success, and seek first your finances, and seek first your wealth, because if you don't, you will die. And you're looking at the kingdom of God, and you're going, but hold on, if I go this way, then I don't know how I live, because this is scary to me, and so where do the finances come from? Where does the retirement come from? I'm not sure, and yet God stands firm in his word, and he says, no, seek first my kingdom. I am your provider. I am Jehovah Jireh. I will take care of your needs. And we're listening to these words, but at the same time that these other words, and this word, these words begin to say, who is your God that can save you? And so we're looking. And our knees are going to bow to something. And so many times we bow down here. And we say, God, I don't really mean this. God, really my loyalty is to you. And as soon as I secure this area, I'm coming back to you. You know how easy it would have been for them to go, you know what? You've put me in this position, God. 
You've given me favor here. You, you, I can have a lot better effects for the kingdom if I just bow down to this God, this golden image. So I don't really mean this God, but for the sake of ministry later on, I'm going to bow down to this, but I don't really mean it, God. And then that way it secures my success later on, and I can continue ministering. How many times do we do that? How many times? I mean, just honestly. How many times are we bowing down to other things? Because you bow down to what you really believe. If you really believe that God is your provider, if you really believe that he is your source, if you really believe that he has you, if you really believe that bringing life and light to those who walk in darkness is more important, then you'll bow down here. But sometimes that's a nice decoration. We believe it. But our actions say we really believe that our provider is our jobs, our provider is our success, our provider is these things. Guys, I am not against jobs. We're supposed to work. But your work doesn't need to be your God. And sometimes we have to take stands. Just as Daniel said to that official, you know what? I don't want to defile myself by eating this food. When you take a stand for God, maybe you take a stand for God in your, in your place of, of work. And I don't mean standing on a soapbox and preaching. I just mean saying, hey, guys, listen, this is not what I do. You're calling me to compromise. You're calling me to do something that's, that's, that, that, that's, that, that's, that's honestly deceitful, something that's not honest, something that is immoral or whatever it may be. You're, you're telling me to do this, and that compromises who I am in God. And so I'm telling you, I can't do this. And when you take that stand in a situation like that and say, I can't defile myself because of, of my life with God, my relationship with God, you risk losing that job. Well, we'll just find someone who will. You don't care enough about your job. You don't care enough about your position. And obviously, if you don't care, we need people that care enough about this. That's a Daniel moment where you go, hold on. But man, it's scary when you stand up and go, no, this is not who I am. I can't cheat. I can't do this. I can't change the numbers. This is not who I am. You stand for God. That's resolve. That's not bowing to your job. Sometimes when they call you to work longer and longer and longer hours and you sacrifice your family, your, your wife or your husband and your kids. And before long you go, no, this is not what I'm supposed to be about. I'm supposed to pour into my life. And you take a stand and go, no, I will not work these long hours. You know what? That's Daniel standing up before the official and saying, do not, I don't want to defile myself with these things. And it's those times that I've seen in my own life God step in. But even if he does not, and that's where they were. They said, oh God, oh Nebuchadnezzar, oh my boss, my supervisor, I won't go down the path that you've asked me to. I won't be dishonest. I will be true. I won't cheat. I won't change the numbers. And even if you want to fire me, my God's got me. And he can deliver me from your hand. But even if he does not, I still will never bow before you what you want me to do. And it's moments like that where we begin to realize who we serve. Who am I bowing to? Who do I really worship? Because if I bow to this, then I've really elevated my success. And I see and deem them as my, where, my, where my wealth comes from, where my success, where my provision comes from. In the midst of it, God says, man, So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are bound, and they're led to the furnace, and 
Nebuchadnezzar is furious and he heats the fire. You know the story. This is the part we know well. He heats the furnace up hotter and hotter and hotter. It's so hot, hot that the guards who take them to the furnace die because of the heat. And he throws these three men who resolve to die in order not to bow. They're thrown into the furnace and into that furnace. These men who watched Josiah die, who watched Jerusalem basically fall, who watched themselves be captive and led, they stood the ground and into that fire furnace, God shows up. And while everybody else is dying because the flames are even close, they're walking around unbound in that furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar looks and he is amazed. Wait, didn't we only throw three people in there? Who's that fourth guy? Guys, come out. And they come out of the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I've seen something real. I've seen something real. And now I will bow before your God. It doesn't last long. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are promoted. It's not about the promotion. This is not how to get promoted. What I'm saying is they would never probably, maybe they wouldn't have been promoted if they hadn't gone through the fire. I don't know. But I love it that, she, that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar says, man, I've seen something real. In your life is something real. It's a willingness. It's a resolve. It's a commitment. Folks, we live in a world in a culture full of idol worship. Yeah, it's not statues and these things. Guys, it's money, it's success, it's self. And we bow to those things and we take God's kingdom and God's mission, mission and we shelve it. And we kid ourselves that we actually live loyal, in loyalty to him. We say, God, I don't really mean this, but I'm bowing down here towards this thing. And as soon as I get this squared away, as soon as I get my ends, my provision met, when I retire, I'll have the funds, then I'm going to serve you. And God says, I don't want your lukewarm service. That's just the truth. He says, I don't want lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. It's disgusting, he says. Don't, don't bow to them pretending you're bowing to me. And don't pretend to bow to me while you're really bowing. I can see into your hearts. You can kid yourself. You can kid other people. I know what you're bowing to. He says, I want your life. You know what resolved is? Resolved is to say, okay, here is my life. This is everything I'm encompassing. This is Selwyn. And I'm signing my name over to God. And I'm saying, Selwyn, now his life, his being, his purpose, everything about him is reserved. is restricted for the use by God. And I step into his corner. I go, God, the keys to my life are now yours. Do with me what you want to do with me, that your name will be glorified through my life. If I could, I would give each of you a piece of paper had I thought about this longer. And almost have a declaration on that piece of paper saying, my life exists to bring glory to God. And by having that paper in front of you saying, I will no longer seek after God to glorify myself. I will no longer seek after my own success. I will no longer seek after these things. And in there would be a place for your signature. And all I would do is hand it to you and say, whether you sign that is up to you. 
That's resolved. That's how this country was won. That's how we have our freedom. That's, it's the resolve of Jesus Christ that led him to a cross, that looked at you and said, your life is worth his death. That we walk in life now because he was willing to die that we could. And what he wants to resolve, you to resolve your life, he simply says to you and to me, I want you to give your life to bring that message that I died for people to live, I want you to take it to other people. And I want that message to be more important than your own success, than your own life, and your own prosperity. Just take my life to other people. And we, a lot of us go, when I'm through chasing this God, I'm coming back to you. And he goes, you know what? Don't worry about it. You've bowed down to the God that you serve. Guys, I want to be a Josiah. I want to be a Shadrach. I want to be a Meshach. I want to be a Abednego. I want to be a Daniel. I want to be a Hezekiah. That's what I want to be. And those, those paths come with difficult times. Those paths come with fiery furnaces. Those paths come with lion's dens. But those are some influential people that led people to life. Would you stand to your feet this morning? It is Independence Day weekend. I just want to ask you this. You're going to be resolved to something. Who will you resolve to? Who will you serve? How committed will you be? Are you willing to go through the furnace? Are you willing to go through the hard times? Because they will come. There are people waiting desperately to see something real in your life. To see something they can hang on to. To see something that they too in their darkness can grab hold of. So that you can bring them life through Jesus Christ. Will you be men and women of resolve? Well, Jesus, we come before you this morning. And God, I thank you that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord Jesus, God, you didn't want to die on that cross. But Lord Jesus, you saw each of us and you said, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. And God, it led you to die on a cross. God, you could have come off. Jesus, you could have come off that cross, but you chose to stay that I, that Selwyn might have life. That Every single individual by name in this place might have life. That everybody in Quincy by name might have life. That everybody in this world by name might have life. And I thank you for your love, for your grace, for your passion, for your heart, for your resolve, for your dedication, Lord God, to me. And I pray right now, Lord God, that you would give us, your men, your women, the resolve to passionately and dedicately lead our lives in a way that brings glory to your your name, to be disciplined enough, Lord God, to be determined enough to seek you with everything in us, to not compromise and not to bow down, that your kingdom would be built and that your name would be glorified in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. God bless Go out and change the world. And if you need prayer, come see me. God bless.